Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew 11, verses 25 to 12, verse 14. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Marjorie. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together in your name. Thank you for making us a family. And Lord, we just are so eager to hear what you want to say to us this morning. We need your voice. We need to hear from you. Father, we've got bated breath. We want to know what you're saying to us. Please give us receptive hearts so that we all together hear the voice of our Father this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Today is the first tent peg of our base camp, the rather splendid tent and boots. And we're going to look at the issue of rest today. We are a family, and this idea of base camp is that we we spend this time as gathered church doing good business with God so that when we go out, we do good business with him out there. And it's really important over these next few weeks, as well as the actual details of what we're talking about, that we get into our heads that broader narrative, which is simply this, it's really good to be together. And it's really important that we gather together. 
The Bible says don't give up the habit of, of meeting together. There's so many other things we could do. I just want to say very simply, prioritize church. I know there's a lot else we can do. I've got kids who live away. I've got a busy job. I, I do understand. But you know what? You can't be everywhere. And you'll be where you decide to be. So prioritize church. Base camp. The great thing, as Glenn pointed out, is that when God created the world, the first thing he did was to give man a rest. And if I use the word man, I mean man and woman. Okay, we're not going to get hung up on that, are we? Okay, mankind, humanity. Genesis 2. God finished his work and rested. He made the seventh day holy. That means set apart. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating. And in Exodus 2, 20 verse 8, God sets that pattern. Six days of work, one day of rest into the model of how he wants to relate to us and how we should relate to him in the Ten Commandments. And he calls it a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And that's really important. When we talk about the Sabbath rest, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not a Sabbath to knock off and mow the lawn just. I'm not saying, but you'll see where we're going with this. But let's just get this straight. It's about God. It's a calling. And in the light of our new series here, then the obvious sort of potential danger is we say, okay, uh, it's a Sabbath for the Lord. Six days I work. Six days I do my normal stuff. I get, you know, I do my work. I do my creative stuff. I do my whatever. I chat to my friends. And then one day I give to God. And then we could drill that further down and we could say, go to church. And the danger is we'd rather get into a habit of, of, of almost treating the Sabbath a bit like going to see some aged relative in their residence of accommodation and we sort of pay God a visit. Um, then we, we kind of sit for a while and we, you know, we eat cakes and we talk about things and we you know, do a bit of visiting and then we go on and get on with our lives. The other option, which perhaps is more common a few years ago than these days, but the other option is that you turn the Sabbath into a kind of super spiritual rigor. And you, you somehow are supposed to impress God and please him by making yourself thoroughly bored and miserable. And that's, neither of those comes anywhere close to the amazing truth of what God has in store for us in his Sabbath. And it's important that we get into our head that this Sabbath is a gift of God. It's something God told man to do right at the very beginning. Therefore, it comes from God. It was the first thing that man experienced. It's important. It really matters. This isn't an optional bit. It's important that we get this Sabbath thing into our lives, that we understand what the Lord wants for us in this time of Sabbath, this time of rest that he's built in to that model. Okay. It is good for us, but... What's it good for, and why do we need it? We had that passage from Matthew. Thank you so much, Marjorie, for reading that to us. And that part of Matthew 11, 25 onwards, comes after, you'll be shocked to find, Matthew 11, 1 to 24. And in Matthew 11, 1 to 24, Jesus has basically been confronting a bunch of people who have seen the amazing things of God at work. They've heard John the Baptist preach. They've seen the miracles that Jesus has been doing. They've heard his ministry, and they've missed it. They haven't really understood it. They've heard and seen God calling them to repentance and relationship renewal, and they've missed it. And Jesus says to them at the start of verse 25, he says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. It's a bit strange, isn't it? 
We could paraphrase those two verses, 25-26, as thank you, God, that these truths are actually only perceivable by those with a childlike faith and are so often missed by the wise and learned. Yes, Father, for that was your good pleasure. What, so it pleases God that we miss the truth? Well, obviously not. But you see, to really know God, Jesus is saying, to really experience the fullness of God, to know the fullness of the life of the Spirit, to really manifest these gifts of the Spirit, to really understand Scripture, to really walk in relationship with God, to really get what this is all about, you have to be childlike in your faith. Jesus picks us up later on in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, where he brings a child and stand, they say, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus brings a child and says, there you go. That is greatness in the kingdom of God. Why? Because what Jesus is saying is, if you're really going to get to understand me, you're going to have to approach me as a child. Now, that's not childish. We're not talking about being silly. I don't mean silly. I don't mean doesn't want being silly. But not petulant, not, you know. It's a serious business. But we approach it in a childlike way. That is to say, open, trusting, pliable, changeable, teachable. Anybody over the age of 25 feeling awkward yet? Changeable, ooh, pliable, adjustable, interruptible. If you want to really get to know the fullness of the God we seek to serve, Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to be a child. And before we go any further this morning, I want you to ask God a question. I want you to ask God, Lord, Father, am I childlike enough to see you, to know you, and to grow closer to you? Have I become too wise and learned in my own eyes? Or I felt God say to me also, the other option here is that, and and this is no offense to our lovely teenagers, but the stereotypical spiritual teenager who expresses their wisdom and worldliness and learnedness by being spiritually bored. That's not cool. Not playing that game. Not doing that. I'm too good for that. Are you too wise, too learned? Are you too cool, too spiritually cool to know God? I just want you in silence, ask the Lord, am I childlike enough to know you properly? Lord, please break us, mold us, make us more like your son, a great child to a great father. Amen. Verse 28 of Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that brilliant? Come to me. You have a personal invitation this morning from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're not going to get that anywhere else this morning. You have a personal invitation from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come to me, Jesus says. All of you. We had a word for somebody feeling far away. God says, whoever you are this morning, come to me. All of you. Who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay. So, if you're weary and burdened this morning, I hope your heart leaps at that. I hope your heart really leaps at that and you take that seriously. Jesus says this morning, if you've got worries and burdens and you're feeling heavy and burdened, come to me this morning and I will give you rest. What about the rest of you? I'm actually okay. Everything's pretty good, you know. I don't need this crutch religion for the weary, the broken, the knackered, and the fit. Sorry, I shouldn't. Uh, you know, the, but I don't need that religion. Thank you very much. I'm okay. I'm I'm doing okay. I'm sorted. 
You know, my finances are okay. I've got plenty of good friends. My health is good. I have a lovely wife. I have great kids. I have no kids, and that suits me fine because I can do all the groovy things I want to do. Everything's good. Thank you. So I won't come to you. And you see, that is exactly what Sabbath is meant to sort out. That self-reliance, that desire to be in control of my own life, to do it myself, that is what Sabbath is for. It addresses the problem that humanity has of saying, I don't need God, thank you. I'm sorted by myself. The wise and the learned, in verse 25, didn't miss the good stuff of God because they were wise and learned. Being wise and learned is great. The Bible is full of exhortations to be wise and it's full of wisdom and it's full of the wonder of learning. That's what we're doing here this morning, if we're doing anything, is is learning things. It's important that we learn. Why were they missing it? Why did Jesus pick them out? Because they were relying on their wisdom and their learning. They didn't need to be told things. They were so full of what they thought they knew about God. We're not talking about, you know, kind of, QI here. It was things about God they knew, but they relied on their wisdom and their learning rather than going one step beyond that, if you like, to the next layer, which is to get to know the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about whom the wisdom and learning points to whom it points, from whom it comes. If we stop at the learning and wisdom bit, Basically, we've just got ourselves a nice bit of sort of theological training, which is useful only if we take it to the next stage and get to know the God it's pointing to. And Jesus says to these guys, you're missing me, not because you're wise and learned, but because that's where you stop. That's why the childlike bit comes in. The childlike bit goes, that's fascinating. Come on, let's go and see Jesus. That's the bit you've got to have as well. Okay? So, that's the bit the Sabbath needs. You can have everything sorted. You can have your life on a physical level looking great, but Jesus says you still need me. Why? John 8 verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Romans 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In 1 John 1 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. Anybody think they're not a slave this morning? James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Matthew 5.21.22 You have heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. You fool. Anybody in this room want to claim they've never accused anybody else of being a bit of a fool? A bit of a wally? You are in danger of the fires of hell. Matthew five twenty eight. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We'll leave that one hanging, shall we, gentlemen? You see, the fact is, whoever we think we are and wherever we think we are, we all need Jesus. We are all burdened. We are all held captive. Whatever your life is doing, you are a slave to sin without Jesus. I am. It's our human condition. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, You say, I am rich. 
I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Revelation 3.20 To a church, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. See, Jesus is constantly calling his people. God is always calling us back into relationship. And the danger is that some of these good things in our life, the things that are working, things that are cool and groovy, those things can blind us from our deep need of God. And one of the reasons for Sabbath is that God makes us stop and say, you need me. You've got to stop. You've got to make that pause. It's a rhythm. It's a discipline of saying, yeah, you're right. Whatever else is happening in my life, I really have to always remember that I need the Lord. So, weary and burdened and enslaved one, come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest, which is lovely. And for those of us who know our Bibles, it brings often images of the Psalm 23, you know, the kind of the green fields and the quiet waters and the meal laid out in the presence of our enemies. Come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And that's a lovely image. And in the light of that, verse 29 can be a bit of a shocker. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I want to show you something. Okay, so this is a yoke, courtesy of... Andrew Spence, bespoke yokes. <laughs> I couldn't resist that, not for a moment. Now, a yoke is a very strange image for rest. A yoke is all about slavery, slaves wore yokes. It's about hard work. It's about bondage. It's about being put to the plow. It's about coercion. It's a very strange thing for Jesus to say after the phrase, if you're weary and burdened, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What a very odd thing to say. Have a lie down, snuggle up, rest in the green field by quiet waters. He doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke upon you. And it's a very strange symbol because it is a yoke. It's not an ambiguous image. A yoke is only any good for making you work. That's what it's for. So why? (laughs) What's it about? How do we square rest and a symbol of hard work, of being forced and coerced? Surely, if we take Jesus' yoke, aren't we just exchanging one form of slavery for another? Yes, we are. Here's the good news. (laughs) You are. And it's a strange one. In Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And yet, in several places in the New Testament, Paul describes himself as a slave of Christ. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy describe themselves as, it's translated servants, but it's the word doulos, which is slave. Philippians 1.1, Romans 1.1, Ephesians 6.6, Colossians 3.24, 1 Peter 2.16, slave of Christ, slave of Christ. What is going on? 
See, there's no ambiguity. A doulos is a bond slave. As a bond slave, you could own nothing. You were owned. You had no ownership rights. You were a slave slave. And you went where you were told and you were bought and you were sold and you were put to work. And that's what Paul means. I am a slave of Christ. So this balance of rest and slave, how do we unpick it? What are we talking about? See, we could possibly look at it this way. We could say, okay, I acknowledge what the Lord has done for me. I acknowledge the price that the Lord has paid for me and therefore I accept his yoke as recompense, as payment for that. Or we could say, I accept the yoke of Christ because, let's face it, God's bigger than me. And if God says, take my yoke upon you, who am I to argue? He's bigger than me, he's stronger than me. I am effectively a slave to the might of God, the power of God, the awesomeness of the risen Jesus. I am a slave to the risen Jesus. And that's right. But it's not what Jesus says here. Take my yoke upon you because I'm bigger than you. Take your yoke upon me because I'm in charge. No. Something truly spectacular. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Whoa. Take my yoke upon you because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The word that's translated as gentle is a wonderful word. I'm just going to put this down for a second. William Barclay says this about the word praus, which is the, sorry, that came up with German, didn't it? But I am gentle. It gets translated, it's, it's the word that, that is translated meek in the uh, Beatitudes. And this is what it says. In classical Greek, this is a lovely word. Of things, it means gentle. It is used, for instance, of a gentle breeze or a gentle voice. Of persons, it means mild or gracious. Menander has a fragment in which he says, how sweet is the father who is mild and young in heart. It would be true to say that in classical Greek, it is a word with a caress in it. Indeed, Xenophon uses the neuter plural of the adjective in the sense of caresses. It's actually used as that word caresses. It's a gentle, loving, intimate word. Take my yoke upon you because I am as gentle as a kiss, as close as a caress. It is characteristically a kindly and gracious word. But in Greek, praus is also used in one special sense. It is used, as is mitis in Latin, for a beast which has been tamed, a horse which was once wild, but which has now become obedient to the bit and bridle. That horse is described as praus. Now herein lies the secret of the meaning of praus. There is gentleness in praus, but behind the gentleness there is the strength of steel. For the supreme characteristic of the man who is Prowse is that he is the man who is under perfect control. It is not a spineless gentleness, a sentimental fondness, a passive quietism. It is a strength under control. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, because I am completely powerful. Powerful beyond your wildest dreams. But I am gentle as a sigh. I am as close as a caress. I am as loving as a smile. And I hold those two things in tension. Take on my shoulders, Jesus says, a yoke steered by that sort of God. So that's why we take it on. Jesus invites us to take it on. And that invitation then becomes an invitation to go back to the Garden of Eden. 
It's an invitation to return to that state of close relationship that was surrendered in the Garden of Eden. It's that chance to come back into a relationship with a God who made us and loves us. It's that chance Jesus is saying, come back, accept that yoke of slavery, that control. Bow again to the God you threw off in the garden. Yield to me because I am your biggest fan. I love you to bits. I am completely powerful. I am the one who was meant to run your life, not you. How's it working out, by the way? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am prouse, gentle and powerful and humble in heart. Jesus is not trying to pump himself up. He doesn't need you for that. The universe does that for him. And all that sits beyond it and all that is above and all that is below cries the glory of God. He doesn't need your help. He invites you into relationship because he chooses to take my yoke upon you because I am gentle and humble in heart, come back into a relationship with me. Enjoy the relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father. In in John 17, Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone, it's his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. See, Jesus is inviting us into that relationship. You in me and I in him and God in Jesus and Jesus in me and the Spirit binding us. And that's where you're being invited to, that all together back where we should have been, mending the gap. But for that, we have to take the yoke upon us. The yoke is exactly that. It is accepting the lordship of God. Accept my lordship, Jesus says. In Matthew 12, 1 to 13, we haven't got time to go into that now. But what we see there is Jesus walking this Sabbath walk with his disciples. They're out together. They're walking through a cornfield. They're hungry, so they eat. And the, the powers that be say, Sabbath, rules, laws. And Jesus says, oh, guys, you so missed it. They're walking with me. And I am greater than everything. And they're worshipping because they're with me and they're spending time with me and that's what the Sabbath is meant to be. And if you need food then along the way, then eat. Because the Sabbath was created for you. It's a time to spend time with God. It's a time of blessing. It's not a time of rules and finger-wagging. It's a time of joy and a time of spending time with God. Jesus says, do good on the Sabbath. Heal on the Sabbath. Minister the great things of God on the Sabbath. Why wouldn't you, for goodness sake, of all the days to minister the great things of God? The Sabbath is a, is a brilliant day for it. Yeah. And so that come to me in, in Matthew echoes the where are you in the garden in Genesis. God calling his people. It echoes the I stand at the door and knock of Revelation. All the time God is calling his people, constantly, constantly calling his wayward children, longing for them to stop trying to do it by themselves, stop trying to be your own boss and let me be in charge like it was meant to be. Come to me. Where are you? Let me in and I will come in and eat with you and we will walk together in freedom. And then Jesus says, therefore you will find rest for your souls. It's a quotation from Jeremiah 6, verse 16. And it says this, This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk 
in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Again, God's calling his people, this time the people of Israel. Go and stand and look for the best way. Look for the good way and walk in it with me and you will find rest for your souls. The sad thing is that, that verse finishes, but you would not walk in it. We'll come back to that. So God's rest is now, as it always was, that we come back into relationship with God, that we walk in relationship with him. It's meant to be a reuniting of us and our loving Father. So Jesus can say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the problem with that is, if we take it like that, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but those of you who've been Christians any length of time can probably say, well, my life isn't always easy. I've been through some really tough stuff. And the burden I'm sometimes asked to carry has not been easy. It has been a heavy burden to carry at times. I've had to do difficult things. It's very hard to square that with Christians we know about in North Korea, with people whose loved ones are going through terrible problems. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word for light in Greek is simply not burdensome. My burden is not burdensome. How is his burden not burdensome? Because his yoke is easy. Now the word easy is a word that we tend to take to mean a doddle. Yeah? Takes no effort. That's what easy means, isn't it? That's not what the word in Greek means. Christos is the word in Greek. And it is a fascinating word. One we struggle to fully translate into English. So my yoke is easy. My yoke is Christos. And the Christos means it provides what is useful or suitable It is beneficial, benevolent, kind, well-fitted, well-resourced. Marvin Vincent in the 19th century said, we have no adjective in English that conveys this blend of being kind and good, right, worthwhile, able, at the same time. My yoke is Christos, suitable, fit for purpose, well-resourced, well-fitting. And so... Why is the burden that Christ asks us to carry not burdensome? Because we have a burden-carrying thing that's fit for purpose. You see, isn't that fantastic? Jesus gives us a thing that helps us to carry the burdens we have to carry. Not that they're not heavy, but they're not burdensome, because instead of kind of fumbling around in our hands with them and dropping them, we have a thing to carry them with. My yoke is suitable, fit for purpose, benevolent, kind. I am gentle, strong, capable, able, loving, like a kiss, like a caress, like sheet steel. Take my yoke upon you. Yeah? Anybody getting excited yet? I am. So we receive rest. That's how it's rest. This is how we rest. We receive rest, true deep rest for our souls, our muddled thinking souls, our let's try and get it all sorted out, let's try and do it by myself souls, the bits that we're constantly wrestling with. When we follow Christ's example, And we submit ourselves to the will and rule of our loving Father. We take on a yoke that reunites us with our God and allows us to walk safely and intimately and in friendship and in love and in security and without shame with our loving, caring Father. Useful to him, serving him, guided by him in good ways. Come to me, Jesus says, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is Christos, and so my burden is not a burden.
One last thing. What do we learn from Jesus? Because Jesus had to choose a yoke. Adam was offered a yoke in the garden and he took it off. He threw it off. Jesus was offered a yoke in a garden and had to make a decision. Learn from me. What did Jesus' yoke look like? Well, I'm tempted to say you think you've got it tough. You see, God gave Jesus a yoke to carry. And Jesus wrestled with it in a garden. Take this cup from me, he said. Take this burden from me. Is there no other way of doing this? And Jesus was offered a yoke by his father. And Jesus could have said no. But Jesus invites us to learn from him. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. (sighs) Lord Jesus bought you the privilege of carrying his yoke. You are not fit to carry his yoke. You are filthy with sin, as am I. You are rebellious by nature, as am I. But you are set free to carry the yoke of the God who made you and the Lord who loves you and who can transform your life and put it back like it was meant to be. If you take the yoke of Jesus Christ upon you, learn from him. What did Jesus learn from the cross? He learned life isn't always easy, but through obedience comes victory. Through obedience comes fulfilment. Through obedience comes the will of God into fullness. Through obedience comes freedom. Back in the garden, Adam was offered the chance to be like God. Be like God. Throw off the yoke. And you have that freedom. We can take it off. We can walk away. We don't have to carry it. You're not forced. It's a privilege. But if we take off the yoke of Jesus Christ, the yoke of God, all you do is take on a different yoke. One driven by a cruel master who cares not a fig for you, who will trick you and lie to you and offer you the world. As he tried to with Jesus, bow down to me, I will give you the world. Jesus threw scripture back at him, which is a great way to deal with the devil. Jesus knew what he came for. And he clung to his father's will. Adam threw off the yoke and fell into slavery. There is no independence, ever. There is only slavery to something. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 19 says this. They, they here is false prophets, they promised them freedom, while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Bob Dylan puts it differently. In the song, You've Got to Serve Somebody, on the uh, Slow Train Coming album, he says, it's a long song, I won't read it all, far less sing it. You may be an ambassador to England or France. Topical. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. See, you're going to have to serve somebody. The great thing is you have a choice. 
We can serve a gentle, powerful, loving master who wants only the best for us and who knows better than we do what is good for us. We can take his yoke upon us and learn from him because he is gentle and humble in heart. We can put ourselves in safe hands or we can expose ourselves to the dangers of trying to do it our own way. And the Lord says, come to me, please, I love you. Don't do that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened by life, sin and the devil. Come to me, learn from me. I'm gentle, loving, humble and more strong and powerful than you could possibly imagine. Come to me and walk with me like we were meant to do. And you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. This is our base camp. It's where we start from. I'm going to invite you, as we're gathered church together, to do something that you might find a little bit scary. But please don't, because we're in the presence of God. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything necessarily. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine yourself carrying a yoke, because you are carrying a yoke. And I want you to ask God, we're going to be quiet, and I want you to say to the Lord, Lord, will you just show me what I'm carrying? You might want to picture it in your mind and ask the Lord perhaps to, to, to show you a word written on it. You may want to ask him in a different way, whatever works for you, a, a Bible verse or something. That, but let's ask the Lord, Lord, am I really carrying your yoke? Or has something else slipped in? Am I serving a different agenda? Am I driven by money, by pride, by fear, by words said in the past, by the desire to, for, for human approval, by whatever it might be? Lord, am I really carrying just your yoke? Am I sold out to you? Or are you having to jostle up there with something else? Because the truth is you don't have to go out with that on your shoulder this morning. You can come and accept this yoke, bound to the cross and no true freedom and rest for your souls. So let's be quiet. Lord, we pray this morning that you will show us what we're carrying. Lord, we long to know you better. We long to walk with you in freedom. Please, Lord, just show us what's on our shoulders. If the Lord's shown you something that you think, yeah, that needs to go, that's not what I want. You don't have to go out this morning carrying that. If you've never accepted the yoke of Christ, if you've never accepted the cross of Christ, if you've never said, Lord, come and be my Lord and Master, come down to the front afterwards and we'll pray with you. And you can invite the Lord to be your Lord and Saviour. He is your Saviour. But you have to also name him Lord. You have to choose to take his yoke upon you and learn from him because he is gentle, prouse, and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for his yoke is Christos. And his burden is therefore not a burden. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We bow before you this morning. Amen.